Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is Pila Earth COO Jeff Keen. Jeff's background in the technology industry ranges from startup founder to senior executive in several high growth companies. He's an active member and supporter of British Columbia's startup ecosystem and a co-founder of Atrium Ventures, the Kelowna Innovation Society and Accelerate Okanagan. Jeff is currently the COO at Pila, one of Canada's fastest growing companies specializing in developing sustainable consumer products with a graceful end of life, leaving a positive impact on the planet. So Jeff, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Hey, Cameron, great to be here. Yeah. Now, Kelowna. So we've got a lot of American listeners. Um, tell people where Kelowna. I know where Kelowna is. I've spent a lot of time up there, but just let them know where Kelowna is and why it is a tech hub. Yeah. Well, as the bird flies north of Seattle, probably, you know, an hour flight. Um, we're a three and a half hour drive east of Vancouver and about a seven hour drive west of Calgary. So kind of in the in the mid mid lower uh, south of the province. And there's a really big technology sector in Kelowna. I was, uh, I spoke at a couple of events there 10 years ago called MetaBridge that were, it was kind of the bridge between the Canadian VC sector or th- that are living in the Bay area and Kelowna is where did that start and why is Kelowna such a big technology hub? Yeah. Um, the MetaBridge one in particular was started by a guy named Steve Wandler. Um, you know, Steve had a company called Your Tech Online. Uh, that he started in Kelowna, and you know what he learned through his entrepreneurial journey was that he needed to be he needed to be attacked, uh, attached to bigger centers um, and larger entrepreneurial groups. So he spent a lot of time down the valley. Um, ended up selling his company to Support.com and moved back to Kelowna and brought with him like this amazing network of people. Um, we've had similar stories to that. Jason Richards started a company called Vineyard Networks. Um, he sold in 2010, I believe. Obviously, Club Penguin was a big uh, win for the Valley. Uh, Lane, Lance, and Dave started that company. And within 18 months, sold it to Disney for $350 million, which was a huge win. And, uh, you know, one of the things that 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 transaction did was obviously put Kelowna on the map as a place you could build a big company. Um, But it also attracted a lot of talent here. And a lot of that talent has spun off and started other companies. Uh, So the combination of that history um, has really helped put the Okanagan on the map as a place where you can start and grow a successful tech business. And were you from Kelowna during that whole, you know, um, like the last 10, 12 years, were you in the Kelowna business area as well? Yeah, I moved here in 2003. uh, So 18 years and kind of had a front row seat to all the, uh, all the action that's really seen uh, the community grow. It's been really fun, really fun to be part of. Makes sense. Okay. So that's where, that's where you got into the whole tech center. And, and is that how you ended up connecting with Matt and the team at, uh, at Pila? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, I was working with Lane Merrifield at the time and him, he, him and Brad had been uh, on a backcountry ski, ski trip the year before. And uh, Brad was coming into town and Lane was supposed to have dinner uh, with Brad and um, couldn't make it at the last minute. Lane asked if I could meet Brad and his wife. And that's how I got connected uh, to Pila. We were just finishing the Innovation Center project at the time, and I gave Brad a tour uh, of the of the facility. And he basically pulled out his phone and was video conferencing Matt in Toronto and said, "We like we need to be here." And he was showing him around the space. And 
um, you know, nine months later, uh, Matt sold his house in Toronto and moved to, uh, moved to Kelowna. Um, Brad moved to Kelowna as well. So, um, you know, we started chatting in January of 2019. Uh, I started, you know, helped them get connected to the community, uh, hire a few early employees and, uh, you know, the relationship with Matt and Brad and the conversation just continued to, um, you know, what are you doing next? Would you like to, you know, help join our, come join our team and help us, uh, you know, run operations for Pila. Um, and, and what was it that attracted you? I mean, you've obviously been in that market for a long time. You know, a lot of the people in the marketplace, you could have had lots of deals that, um, that you could have worked on. What was it that attracted you to this one? Yeah, you know what? Just the opportunity to work with those uh, with those guys in that team. Um, you know what I've learned over the years, obviously, is it's all about the people. Um, and you know they had a great track record and they're just great people. Uh, so I was really excited um, for the opportunity to work with them. And then also just the mission um, of the business too. You know, want to create a waste free future, and um, you know that really attracted me to you know how do we. They had some really brilliant ideas of how to make that simple for people. And uh, so that really attracted uh, me to the company as well to be you know, part of that journey. And, and you guys started with something that was, um, or at least one of the earlier products was kind of, I'd say boring, like cases for phones. It's like, okay, like pass the Cheetos, right? Whatever. <laughs> um, but, but what, and we can talk about that, but tell us briefly about the, um, I guess the core of what Pila works on. And then this new product that you've just launched that my sister was raving about the one that she's starting to grow herbs or with, or, or is excited. Yeah. To What's that all about? Yeah, I'll give you the quick background on on the phone case business. I mean, our founder, Jeremy Lang, was um, on the beach in Hawaii with his son and they were digging in the sand. They were digging up plastic. And, you know, Jeremy said, hey, there's got to be a better way to deal with plastic waste and, um, you know, kind of our ethos around making things simple and, you know, products with a graceful end of life. He started with phone cases and um, he started to make compostable biodegradable phone cases. Um, so we kind of created a category uh, around that. And then we launched other mobile consumer products too, like watch straps and AirPod cases and sunglasses and things that just when you're finished with them, um, you know, went back to the earth. And that was our mission at that time was really, we wanted to remove a billion pounds of plastic forever being created or ever entering the waste streams. Um, again, that's part of what attracted me to the business. And it's evolved from that to really a, a company around waste innovation. Um, with a vision to create a waste-free future. Um, you know, our motto is we want to design waste out of the human experience um, by creating everyday products without everyday waste. So easy on the phone case side and, and maybe, you know, eliminating some plastic. But when we think bigger around waste in general, um, there's a big problem uh, with food waste in the world and what happens to it uh, when it gets distributed in the landfill and turns into methane, causes climate change. And um, we started playing with this idea of what if we could create a, you know, a, a home-based kitchen composting unit that would take people's phone, uh, sorry, food waste and turn it into dirt or turn it into something you could put in your garden. And uh, we hired material scientists, um, you know, that have been working on this now for a couple of years. And we're about to bring this product to market in November. But we launched an Indiegogo campaign uh, in April and had tremendous success. We are the most funded project of 2021. Uh, we pre-sold about 20,000 Lomi units, uh, raised about $10 million. And that really set us off on a trajectory of where we wanted to grow the business and how we wanted to make a bigger impact around waste. 
And uh, yeah, it's been really fun so far. It's going to be a huge quarter for us. Um, we're bringing the product to market in November and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I got a lot to unpack on this. So um, <laughs> you, you mentioned the, you mentioned plastic. So, but, but then you also mentioned that when your products go back into the earth, that they kind of compost themselves. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that your products aren't then made of recycled plastic. They're made of recycled material that is then com- compostable again. Yeah. They're made out of uh, PLA, which is a polylactic acid. It's a plant-based uh, polymer. Uh, along with flax shive. The flax shive is, uh, comes from the prairies. It gives it fiber strength. And basically our materials are fully compostable in your backyard compost bin um, or in a landfill or in our new Lomi product. So uh, yeah, they literally turn back into, uh, back into dirt. That's amazing. I'm, I'm friends with the guy who started something called Plastic Bank that's recycling plastic and then turning it into these little plastic pellets and selling it. And he's created like a digital currency and they're doing, you know, yeah. but again, that those plastic pellets just turn into more plastic stuff, right? Like, right. You know, yeah, we're trying to eliminate plastic at the source and just say, you know what, um, if you're going to buy a phone case anyway, mm-hmm. um, if we've got an alternative that is uh, more environmentally friendly, sustainable, and turns back into dirt when you're finished with it, why wouldn't you go that route? Amazing. Um, I believe the number is 100,000 phone cases a minute get basically <laughs> the equivalent of that, get dumped into the ocean. Like there's billions of phone cases a year that end up in the trash. Wow. All right. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I helped build 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So we saw a lot of trash. We saw a lot of right. trash. What, what's your core role at, uh, at Pila and, and how did you guys divide up kind of the roles and responsibilities there? Yeah. So when I joined, uh, talk a little bit about the growth here. I joined in 2019 in January of 2019, Pila had eight employees. Uh, we're currently at 75, um, plus a team in Asia. And so when I joined, um, Pila was really about helping to build process and structure, um, help build the team, um, you know, interface with our Asia um, manufacturing team as well. Um, you know, I, did, I still and continue to do some of the legal work, um, you know, the day-to-day legal work in the business. Um, I work with the leadership team, helping removing block, uh, you know, blockers for them, uh, identifying leaders in the company and helping develop them as well. So, um, you know, that's pretty much my day-to-day there. And, um, I report into Matt and the rest up until very recently, the rest of the t- leadership team reported into me. Uh, we just made a structural change uh, about six weeks ago where, you know, Matt now has five direct reports. Uh, we hired um, a new uh, product, uh, chief, chief product officer. Uh, we promoted someone to chief marketing officer. Uh, we hired a new head of retail. Uh, we promoted someone to CFO and then, um, me being in my my continuous role as COO. So so five new senior people being brought onto the team, is that right? Or or it sounds like you maybe brought on or promoted. or promoted. Yeah. So talk to me about the the first one on the being promoted ones, and then we'll go to the the kind of external hire second. How did you um how did you socialize and and uh, get the current employees to be okay with the fact that they're um, teammates were being promoted and they weren't. And how did you, you know, decide on that? Kind of walk us through some of the thoughts around that. Yeah. So we have um, a, maybe a bit of a unique structure there where we have 
our goal was to have an executive team that was a little bit smaller and then a little bit of uh, a, a larger leadership team. So when I joined, we had one team as leadership team. There was 11 people in the leadership team. And um, as a company grew and became more complicated, more complex, more demanding, uh, we kind of pushed a few people probably a little bit out of their comfort zone. Um, but we also some we also uh, saw some people really rise above that and uh, embrace it, embrace the opportunity. And those are the people that um, got those promotions. Um, the rest of the leadership team is still part of the leadership team. So we have weekly exec meetings and weekly uh, leadership team meetings in the company. And I think for the most part, I mean, people are are pretty good with it. Um, there's a We have an amazing team. People are very self-aware. There's still lots of opportunity for those leaders that didn't get promoted to, you know, become part of the exec team. Our business is growing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on a daily basis. Um, so, yeah, I think... You know, in the at the at the end of the day, it's a very good a very good structure for us. Yeah, it's not. And those kinds of people really like to hold on to growth too. When they're in the midst of growth, it's exciting regardless of what's happening around them. Totally. So, but then yeah. you've got the external hires. So I think it was three external hires that you brought in. Yeah, we brought in uh, a chief product officer. Um, he, you know, Brad's background is in the toy industry. Uh, the network, obviously, with Matt and Brad and MMT and other groups, is pretty strong. So. Uh, you know, we always lean to referrals um, and we, we put the feelers out to the network and a couple of people surfaced up. Um, uh, Connor uh, in Ontario is our chief product officer. He's got a long history at Spin Master and manufacturing in Asia and toy development. So for us, with our direction on Lomi and uh, the, the complexities around bringing something like that to market, he was a perfect fit. Um, and then uh, we brought in uh, head of retail, and his background is working with uh, big box retail in the appliance space. Uh, so for us, that was a, a huge win uh, to be able to bring him on on board as well. Uh, and they've both made a huge uh, impact in uh, in the early days of our business, just helping us, you know, figure out priorities and what to work on first, and making sure that things, you know, are moving through uh, moving through the channels. And any, any of the, you know, when you bring in a senior person, there's ripples that, that happen, right? It's like a boulder that you drop into a pond. You expect the ripples to happen. And sometimes they're good ripple effects. Sometimes they're bad. What did you do to make sure that there weren't bad ones or to control the bad ones or to onboard them in a good way? Yeah, we have a pretty, um, no matter, pretty much regardless of who you are, you all go through the same recruiting process at Pila. We have a, a pretty rigorous process. It's a four-stage uh, process that starts with screening, a screening call that's done by our HR director. Um, they ask some pretty broad questions. Um, you know, that goes into a main interview. Uh, from the main interview, you go to a fit interview, and that's where we really look at culture. And then we have a final. And there, every, there's different people from our team that participate in each one of those levels. There's always someone on the exact team that does the final. Uh, but everybody gets a veto. Um, right through the process. So if there is someone that says, you know, thumbs down on this person, then, you know, we talk about it, but we respect the decision and, and move on. So that we get buy-in along the way from different members of the team, which I think is critical. Yeah. Um, and we also really get to know the person through the process as well. So that really helps. And then we have uh, Peel University, which is like a 13-week onboarding process. Um, they get to learn about every part of the business. We usually get them to sit in on our customer service team, uh, you know, through their onboarding process as well to hear from the customers and what does that look like and sound like every day. So 
it's uh yeah it's it's proved to be very valuable for us in terms of finding the right people um, integrating with the team and then onboarding them properly into the company and i'm sure that the growth from eight to 75 people has been really easy <laughs> yeah what 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 have the struggles been well i think you know we have um our we, we have really strong core values so uh, our core values, we call them the four C's. Um, community is number one. Everything kind of starts with community for us. So we want people to commit to a culture uh, that builds a vibrant community. Uh, creativity, uh, foster creativity to inspire innovation. Consciousness, want to live with awareness and conscious of our choices and how they impact other people and the community around us. And then courage. And that's really about embracing courage uh, by taking action uh, despite uncertainty. So as that as our core, um, I think one of the challenges is just maintaining that culture as the company grows. Um, Matt's such a good leader um, from that respect. We do, you know, monthly all hands where we repeat this all the time, right? Like people hear it constantly, mm-hmm. whether it's in our, you know, our regular meetings or, our, um, you know, all hands meetings or the review process, which we can talk about too, which is maybe a little bit different than most people's review process. But um, I think that's probably one of the challenges. Um, We've got a really young team. We're a really high growth company. And so not everybody's comfortable, um, especially if they haven't had experience in a high growth business before. So, you know, that's one of the challenges is just, you know, having people be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Um, With so much changes going on, we break things all the time. We break process, we break finance, we break, you know, systems all the time. So a lot of people that haven't been through that aren't necessarily comfortable. So as a team grows, that that becomes, um, you know, an ongoing, ongoing challenge for us too. Interesting. You you talked about, um, about identifying leaders and growing them internally. And I know that you, you guys just signed up a bunch of your, your leaders into my invest in your leaders course. So thank you for that. Um, how do you first go about identifying leaders in the company? What do you look for? What, what is it that you notice about them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, we, I always think of Pigpen at Charlie Brown and the Charlie Brown shows, like that guy walking around with like the dust around him. Like, do you see something? Is there something you spot? Yeah, I think, you know, we look at, I look at leadership and potential as two different things. Um, some people will say, well, you know, my job is to look for potential in people and to grow that potential and to, you know, help people move through their career. And, I, I agree with that philosophy, but I say, instead of looking for people with potential, look at people that are being leaders in the business every day, right? So people that are accountable, responsible, living your core values, executing on their job really well. Those aren't people with potential. Those are people that are actually killing it as a leader today. Yep. So my job for those people is to take down the barriers to help them further develop their leadership skills, Someone with potential has the potential to do those things. So in a way, people with potential maybe aren't living up to the things that we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. People with potential aren't necessarily leaders. Right. So. Or not um, yet. Exactly. Not yet. So, and they're on two different paths, right? So if the people with potential are looking, how can I give this person more opportunities to prove they can be a leader? Um, And how much time do I want to spend doing that versus, you know, 
how much time do I want to spend with people that are actually being leaders today? Well, and most, most leaders have been leaders their whole life. Like they right. were, when they were seven years old, they were the kid that got everybody to go do something. When they were 14, they were the ones that rallied their friends to go to the movie. When they were 18, they were on student, you know, student government that they've been in leadership roles their entire life doing stuff. And that, that's a trait that, that has always been there. Totally. So yeah. when you're, when you're growing them or when you're grooming them, what you said, kind of removing, shoot, what was it you said? I try to remove something. Um, yeah. Barriers or roadblocks. Barriers. Yeah, yeah. The barriers or roadblocks to help them grow more. So, so what are the barriers you notice? What are the things you try to help them with? Yeah. So when we, uh, prior to the exec team, leadership team structure, we just had the leadership team. But what we did is we identified leaders in the company and we rotated them through our leadership meetings because we wanted them to hear firsthand and see firsthand how those meetings were run and how they operated, how we communicated as a team, right? How we disagreed on many things, but came to the uh, you know, joint conclusion that this is a decision we're going to get behind it and move forward. And we had debate and we had all those things. And I wanted to introduce people in the company that we could move into that leadership structure early and get them familiarized with that process. So that's one way so that they're not coming in cold, you know, they're learning as uh, as a team with the rest of the leadership team. We just, we have weekly leadership teams and we rolled um, people in on a, every three or four week basis, we'd have someone new join the team. We had the same four people that did that for a while. All those four people are now part of the, the, the formal leadership group. That's great. Yeah, I used to do that with our um, our executive team members and bring them out to board meetings as well. Because traditionally, it was only Brian and I that did work to the board. But we thought yeah. just by bringing leaders out and even having them sit for the day or present for a little bit, it just it just gives yeah. them that next level. So what's the same exactly? Yeah. What are the differences between your like strategically and tactically between your executive team and leadership team? Just give us briefly what would kind of the roles and responsibilities be of each, or how would you describe each to the outside world? Yeah, so our executive team is all about strategy, um, vision, long-term planning, and our leadership team is all about execution. Great. And that, that's, I think, the, the core difference. I think it's, it seems to be an evolution in an organization when you go from 30 to 100 people is the emergence of the true leadership team or the executive team, right, where there is that strategy group. So what, do you, what are, the, what, what are the, the, not tools, but... Do you have specific meetings to, to deal with strategy? And, and I've always talked that like people say there's something as strategic planning, and those are two different things. Strategy and planning are very different. There's strategic mm-hmm. thinking is one thing, and then there's business planning is the other. So what is what are the types of strategy discussions you have? Can you give yeah, us some so examples? We, yeah, so we follow the traction uh, model. I'd say fairly, you know, um, I wouldn't say we're totally, you know, locked into every aspect of it, but we do follow the traction model. Gina Wickman's book is awesome. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For those of you who haven't read it, you should definitely read it if you want to implement like the entrepreneurial operating system that I think is pretty applicable to any any business. Yeah, I'll link to it. So we do a uh, we do quarterly planning sessions, uh, and we do annual planning sessions. Annual uh, are two day uh, planning sessions. They're facilitated by an outside facilitator. Uh, we bring in um, actually a gentleman named Anthony DeMarco out of Ontario that Brad's familiar with. He flies in. He does our our uh, planning sessions for us. We've been doing them remote lately, which is kind of interesting and added a new twist to it. But uh, we still find them super productive. And we like bringing somebody else from the. Uh, we like bringing somebody in from the outside because 
Um, they have uh, a different perspective sometimes on our conversations than we will internally, a different view. They keep the meetings going and we always come out at the end with a result as opposed to maybe there's a few things that have been left open-ended and that never happens, which is, which is great. Um, so we do the quarterly uh, planning uh, sessions, as I said, that are day long. Uh, and then annual, we kind of look three years, two years, one year out. Um, and then we plan the next quarter's rocks. Um, after that, the leadership group meets, does a quarterly planning session about how they're going to execute on those rocks. So that's the, that's the process that we use. It's identical to what I outlined in my book, Double Double, my first book that came out like 11 years ago. That's oh, cool. the, yeah, the, the three-year, two-year, one-year, and then the, um, I love traction. Are you guys looking at, and Gino and I are friends, are, are you guys looking at m- moving away from traction and into kind of the scaling up methodologies at some point? Or are you seeing traction that I feel is great until you get to like the 100, 150 employee mark? Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we'll let that probably evolve over the over the next few months. Here, we've got some pretty big growth plans for the for the business. So the the traction structure works great for us right now, um, and we'll see if we start to break that, like we, <laughs> we break everything else, and yeah, we'll we'll implement what makes the most sense at the time. Iterate as you grow. Exactly. So you're not bringing in cheap hires. Some of these these senior team members that you're bringing in that you described aren't aren't cheap people. Is this the the Indiegogo funding model that you're using to grow or you did you bring in outside funding or are you are you growing all off cash flow how how's that all working yeah up until um i might get this wrong i think it's about 18 months ago we were operating off cash flow um we did a a small um i would say kind of early series a round from uh, marcy venture marcy venture partners and kensington capital um, and we brought that money into the company. That's what's really helped us grow the business and grow the team. Um, and Marcy Venture Partners is Jay-Z and Jay Brown's uh, investment fund uh, out of California. And so that brought a lot of notoriety and press uh, to Pila at the time. It wasn't a huge round, but it was significant enough um, that you know it raised a lot of eyebrows and uh, attracted a lot of people to the company too. So um, that, that certainly helped. And and now is it the Indiegogo funding that you're starting to then use? Exactly. Yeah. How do you, how do you manage having that huge cash infusion? I think you said something like 10 million um, in Indiegogo pre-sales. How do you manage that cash infusion and knowing that you then have to actually, you know, pay for the actual product and distribution and, and shipping and everything of all that? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's basically what that, I mean, I'm not sure of how many people, you know, listening, I've been through like a, you know, a crowdfunding campaign before, but um, you know, the money that you raise typically goes into actually making the, making a shipping the product. And, you know, for us, that's um, right on point. We're, you know, right in the throes of final engineering and, and just about to start production on, on our Lomi product. A lot of that $10 million will go into making those units and shipping those units. You, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the shortage of integrated circuits that are um, in high demand these days. There's lots of cars parked in football stadiums that are completely finished and waiting for waiting for circuits that aren't available yet. And you know everybody that uses circuits in the same boat. Um, so a lot of our you know resources are going to sourcing uh, parts and keeping our our supply chain and logistics process going. Um, and that's how we're utilizing our uh, Indiegogo funds. 
What's what is the shortage on integrated circuits? Why is that? Is that stuff coming out of China? Is it because of the raw materials? What is it that's causing? No, it's that? the, yeah, it was just the supply and demand through COVID. Um, you know, really put a strain on production of of integrated circuits, and so they're just really far behind. I think you know six to twelve months um, from time to order to time to circuit. So, uh, or time to deliver, I should say. So yeah, big uh, big issues there globally. For sure. And I don't know that business, but like, do you just start an integrated circuits, man? <laughs> <You're practicing laughs> yeah. right? It's not a, probably not a bad call right now. <laughs> how, how integrated you get. So, so on the finance side, have you guys got a, a strong finance team and what was it like building that out from the eight person kind of where winging it to where you are mm-hmm. now? I would, I would guess you got more of a stronger finance component to your business. Yeah, for sure. So um, actually, that was one of the first introductions that I made to Matt and Brad when I joined the company. Um, a guy, a gentleman named Jason Hodges, who joined as a director of finance uh, back in, uh, I, b- I believe, uh, early 2019. And he's just evolved um, and uh, developed into an amazing leader of our finance team who's you know just been promoted to CFO. So um, we're very fortunate to have him. He's built a very strong team uh, underneath him. He's part of our exec team. Um, and, you know, he's, he brings a very unique perspective. He's not your typical accountant. Um, he comes with a broad, um, you know, range of experience as well uh, to the table. Um, he's probably one of the people on the team that is the most vocal uh, when it comes to decision-making and are we doing the right thing and are we doing the right thing at the right time from a finance perspective. So, uh, and the reporting that, that we get and the, and the data that comes out of the finance team really drives the business. I was, I was speaking with some, <clears throat> someone the other day about, about growth and talking about how kind of in that 30 to hundred person range, a lot of the more junior managers tend to hire as the, the, the way to solve a problem. And it's not mm. necessarily the best solution. You know, you could optimize, you could automate, you could outsource, you, you could just find out the better ways, but they tend to just keep hiring people. How do you prevent that from happening? Yeah. Uh, or, do you, or do you worry about it when you're in such a high growth phase? Yeah, it's not too much of a concern at this point. I mean, again, we did things a little bit backwards, but I think for the right reasons, we hired a leadership team first and built the team underneath them versus, you know, building the team first and then having to go find leaders. Uh, and I think the experience that the leaders bring to the table have really helped guide our hires. Um, they're all experienced people. They've, you know, all been in high growth businesses before. So they understand uh, the right needs at the right time. And, you know, that's, that's really been helpful for us. That's Jim Collins, right? First who, then what? First who, then what? Absolutely. hundred percent. So you mentioned the the data points coming out of finance. What what are some of the data points that you look at? And and talk to me a little bit about the dashboard that your leadership team looks at. Yeah, so we have a full-time data scientist on the team. Um, <laughs> she is amazing. Uh, she comes from a background at Boeing, uh, where she was a data scientist there. Um, and no matter what data you want to look at, how you want to slice it and dice it, we have access to pretty much every financial data point in the business, how our products are launching, how they're launching compared to other products that launched in the same, you know, timeframe, uh, where should we be putting our marketing dollars? What's our CAC? What's our LTV? What's our average order value? How are those things trending over time? Um, you know, how efficient is our ad spend? Um, it's, it's really 
amazing. We, we rely heavily on our data. She built a dashboard for us that we look at every week. Um, we're deep into the data. <laughs> and she's the type of person that will not just give you the, the it's, it's not just so, it's a so what, right? Like, as opposed to just here's the information, here's the information and here, I, this is what I think about it, mm. which is like, it's a game changer for us. It's interesting how few companies have this hire and they're not that expensive of a hire. Like even right. the most, you know, they're, they're, I learned this in 1980, shit, this is going back a long time. 1989, I was at College Pro Painters in Toronto and we had a full-time data science scientist on our team. And I talked to Greg Clark, the founder, and he said, well, it's cheaper to have a full, he called it an MIS person. It's cheaper to have right. a full-time MIS person than it is to have a, a computer for everyone because computers were so expensive in 1989. <laughs> he said, I'll just have you know her do all the work and, and tell us what, what the data is going to be. I'm like, God, that just seems so smart. Like, and, and I don't think I even realized it until, um, until much later. Yeah. And we're, we're also a fully integrated business, right? So right from raw materials to, you know, shipping to the customer. So we're not just looking at purely financial metrics. We're looking at inventory levels, inventory turns. We're looking at logistics costs, we're looking at shipping costs. We're looking at costs across the entire business. And all that information is on our dashboard. We're looking at our customer service scores. Um, all that's automated. Um, and yeah, we, we would not be where we are without, the uh, views into the analytical part of the business for sure. Now, are there a few core metrics that you focus on as at the leadership team level or executive team level? Yeah, probably um, ad spend efficiency, you know, customer acquisition costs. Um, obviously we look at, you know, EBITDA and, and those numbers on a regular basis too. Um, you know, how sales are, are trending. I mean, we had a, a Everybody probably had a tough time with COVID and the retail business. We had a small retail business, um, our retail aspect to our business leading up to COVID, which was actually growing quite well. And, um, you know, it was obvious through our data and through, you know, the retail world, um, what was happening to that business. And we were, at, we were able to be pretty proactive and dial that back and, you know, re refocus our our uh, spend on uh, on the D2C business, which is basically 90% of our, our revenue comes from D2C. Nice. All right. I want to talk a little bit about Jeff Keen before we wrap. What's Jeff Keen working on to grow himself? I mean, this company is getting bigger and faster in a new industry. What are you working on to grow yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, we did a, a session down with Darren Hardy in San Diego uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, that was a great, a great experience, a great network of people down there. Um, I continue to read books, um, lots of business books. Uh, the last one I read was uh, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, which is an awesome read and a good gut check for a lot of people too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, appreciate his perspective on things for sure. Um, you know, and I just think spending time with people that are better than you. And, you know, that's that's been really big for me in the past few years is, uh, I mean, I've been in business 30 years and I'm still blown away by how smart people are at a much younger age, at least from my view anyway. Um, I, so I'm just constantly learning, uh, spending right. time with people that are smarter and with different experiences and um, just learning from their experiences. And that's, you know, definitely one thing I would put out there to people is, you know, grow your tribe and, you know, spend time with people that uh, that inspire you and you can learn from. And um, that's a, it's a good use of time.
That was, that's the entire reason I started the COO Alliance was I wanted to have a place for COOs to hang out without the CEOs there to distract us. Um, right. It's funny, funny that you mentioned Ryan Holiday from um, Ego is the Enemy. Ryan and I met at the very first Mastermind Talks event about eight or nine years ago in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And he was speaking about his time at American Apparel where he was director of marketing. I think it was his role. And he said, the only reason why a company has a customer service department is either your product sucks, your service sucks, you overset expectations for your customer or the FAQs on your website are not complete. Right. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Like if you really focus on fixing those four things, you can eliminate an awful lot of people, you know, a lot, a lot of cost. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the 22 year old Jeff. You're graduating from college. You're getting ready to start off in your career. What advice would you give the 22 year old Jeff Keen? Hmm. Buy more real estate. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> <laughs> right oh my god if i could go back or buy that apple stock in 2001 that i should have bought um oh man i don't know so many lessons along the way um i think i'm just gonna go back to you know what um find your tribe build your network spend time with people that invigorate you and motivate you and um avoid the negative negative people it's just you know, you're wasting your time and energy in an area that's not going to impact your life in a positive way. So, you know, spend time with people that um, you just want to hang with and they enjoy being with and, you know, build your network that way. And the power of the network in the long run is absolutely everything. It's, yeah. it, you talk to any successful business person um, and they're going to tell you that they are successful partially because of the people that they hang with and the network that they spend their time in. I think I heard a saying, and it may have been at MMT, that your network is your net worth. Oh man, it's so true. And you are you are definitely plugged into the right community in Kelowna, Canada, Kelowna, British Columbia. So, Jeff, thank you so much, Jeff Keen, the COO for Pila. Thanks so much for sharing with us today on the Second Command Podcast. Really appreciate the time. Hey man, that was fun. Thanks, Cameron. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.